0: We're in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, what what we sometimes refer to as the Old Testament, but if you talk to uh, Jews, they don't consider it old. Um, it's their only testament. Um, so where we are in the story is that it's a story about David. David has been anointed as Israel's new king, but Saul is still on the throne, and he's not relinquishing it. In fact... At one time david had um, had favor and served in saul 's court, but Saul became moody and a lot of other things, and became more evil in his intent and and David fell out of favor with Saul, and Saul sought to kill him, saw him as a threat, and wanted him dead and so there 's actually a price on david 's head he 's let everyone know whoever kills david um, is will be will be revered in his under his rule. Um, so David basically is running for his life. When he's not fighting Israel's enemies, he's trying to flee and remain out of Saul's reach. And on one such occasion, he comes to Nob. It's a small village just about two miles northeast of Jerusalem, near what we refer to in the New Testament as Bethany. It's somewhere near there. And there was a sanctuary there. And the person who was most responsible for the sanctuary or the chief of all the priests who attended that sanctuary was a man named Ahimelech. And so this is the story of David coming into that sanctuary and what happened there.
1: David came to Nob. Where Ahimelech was priest. Ahimelech was shaking in fear when he met David. Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered, the king has given me orders but he instructed me don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or about your orders. As for my troops I told them to meet me at an undisclosed location now what you do have what do you have here with you give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find I don't have any regular bread on hand the priest answered David just holy bread but only if your troops have abstained from sexual activity definitely David answered the priest whenever I go out to war women are off limits that's our standard operating procedure even on regular missions the men's gear is kept holy that's even more true today with the mission holy along with the gear so the priest gave David holy bread because there was no other bread except the bread of the presence which is removed from the Lord's presence and replaced by warm bread as soon as it is taken away Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained in the Lord's presence. His name was Doeg. He was an Edomite and Saul's head shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword on hand? I didn't bring a sword or gear with me because the king's mission was urgent. The priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine you killed, and the elah valley is wrapped in a cloth behind the priestly vest if you want it take it because there are no other swords here david said no sword is as good as that one give it to me the word of the lord
0: i think suzanne's ready for battle um... <laughs> Obviously, the common English version is a different translation than what you're used to. Um, i not sure I've ever heard standard standing operating procedure, um, but it does help the text uh, feel familiar to us, um, a little more than the King James version. Um, and yet, it's interesting when I visit Juvenile Hall, many times the residents want to know, do you have a King James translation? And I think, wow, there's something about the these and the thous and the lofty language that has a, an association for them or a, a sense of God being holy and God being other that, that gets translated that way for them. And I'm always intrigued that they, that they choose that translation. Um, I was going to say something else, but I'm just going to preach. I, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm here for. I know many times the asides are the things you remember, though, so that's why I'm not going to do it. Much of the narrative describing Saul's reign um, is dominated by his opposition to David. And what Saul doesn't realize is his opposition to David is also his opposition to God. And I sometimes think we get in similar predicaments that we think that we're opposed to something for, on good grounds, but we may be opposing God in the process. Um, Saul wants to destroy everything that makes David who he is. And God is wanting to protect David from him. So when David runs into the sanctuary at Nob, he seems to have only one thing on his mind. And that is his survival. He's, he's going in the sanctuary seeking protection and provision. Um, but he also needs help that he doesn't acknowledge necessarily. It's the kind of help all of us need when we enter a sanctuary and what a sanctuary offers. And that is help to lead a God-attentive life. A life that's responsive to God. A life that aligns itself with that of God. And David needs to be reminded of God's presence and of his anointing and the role that he's been given by God. In other words, in simple terms, David needs God's holiness. Now, holy is a word that we use to designate what about God is different than any thing else in all of creation, including humans, that it designates God's otherness, God's purity, God's beauty. It's a word to signify that God is separate and distinct from creation, and that God's otherness is also a mystery. We cannot know everything about God, or um, that our own use of language and images and understanding is limited to who God truly is. A holy place is where we become aware that there's more to life than meets the eye, and that more is other with a capital O. That we're aware that something is greater than we are, something's more important than we are, something deserves our attention God, who is beyond us in a sanctuary, is also at hand. A sanctuary is considered such a place, a holy place for paying attention to God, where God is honored by remembering events in which God determined the outcome and God's goodness was revealed. Those who maintain a sanctuary's sacredness are the priests and the pastors. Um, We just finished Vacation Bible School, and one of my favorite memories of Vacation Bible School was some years ago walking up to a student from our church and greeting her, and her friend was sitting there with her, and she looked at her friend who attends church here and says, who's that? Is that your dad? And she goes, no, that's our pastor. And this girl, I'm not sure if she knew what a pastor does, looked at me and said, you're the pastor? Kind of with a question mark, and I'm like... Yes, and she goes, "Well, good luck with that <laughs> uh, that 's kind of what it 's like to 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 maintain the sacredness of the place. Um, the chief priest at Nob was this man named Ahimelech, and when David enters the sanctuary, he becomes anxious he is he is almost frightened that David is there. And he says to him, why are you here? Which is not a good thing to say if you're the pastor welcoming people coming to church. Why are you here? You know, like, you don't belong here. Or, you don't. Know, I almost said that to someone visiting from another church today. You know, you, you want to say, you're welcome, and we're glad you're here, instead of saying, why are you here? Um... Apparently, he's well aware of the situation between Saul and David. And so David's presence creates alarm for him. So David reassures him, but he does so with a lie. I'm here on the king's business. I'll soon be joined by my men. We need food. Give me some loaves of bread. Now, one thing becomes clear as you read through the Hebrew Scriptures that pertain to David in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, is that he's no model for morality. David, and yet he's presented in Scripture as a hero. So is Abraham, for that matter, and he's not exactly. Um... So what he lacks, though, in this sense of an ideal, he, is, uh, he makes up for by being real, by being just as human as you can possibly be. And if we can get past his deception of Ahimelech, we might deepen our own sense of our need for God. We might look at his desperate need for God as a way for us to identify with him. Eugene Peterson says this is the benefit of David's example for us here. He says, One of the most distressing and distressingly frequent corruptions that works its way into the spiritual life is the loss of connection between who God is and who we are. We say the name of God, we enter a sanctuary, we pray, but often the slightest tone of falsehood begins to creep in Subtle dishonesty that gets into our speech and into our action. The religious place offers an occasion to use God instead of submitting to God. In other words, we let our own agenda, our own purposes, our own motives for being in worship or being in a sanctuary take over. Rather than a true encounter with the living God. Peterson says, instead of becoming more before God, we become less. The distance is greater. And David is an antidote to this. We read David to cultivate a sense of reality for a true life, an honest life, and you say, but wait a minute, didn't he lie? How's that honest? He's honest in his need for God and his pursuit of God. Being being God-aware and God-responsive, at least that part of David is true. David asked for bread, but there's no ordinary bread, only holy bread, called also the bread of the presence. This was the bread that was placed on the altar each week. Twelve loaves were prepared. They were baked and placed on the altar. And if you don't know why it's 12, then read more of the Hebrew scriptures. Um, It'll become apparent quickly. And when they were replaced the following Sabbath, the 12 loaves that were taken off of the altar were then made available to the priests to eat, but only the priests. David indicates his men need the bread since they are on a royal mission. And for whatever reason, Ahimelech is willing to bend the rules, provided David's men can meet one certain criteria. They must be consecrated. In other words, the men must be holy, because you can't serve holy food to an unholy person. And by consecrated, he meant they must abstain, have abstained from sexual activity. Um, don't ask me why that is, but that's what it says, okay? <laughs> and it's as, as if Ahimelech's willing to bend the rules because he thinks this holy bread can be served to them because these men now are holy. But nothing we do makes us Holy. It's only who God is and what God offers that becomes holy, that is holy. David makes another request. What have you got in the way of, of a weapon? Not exactly the kind of question I would expect to be answered, uh, asked here. Although in today's climate, there are people who advocate we should have a weapon on site. Um... But there is none, okay? It's not in pew six under the seat or something like that, so relax. Um, He continues to deceive Ahimelech about his fugitive status. He said, I've brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business was urgent. You better believe it's urgent. He's running for his life. So that part's true, you know. He just isn't carrying out the king's business. And it so happened that this sanctuary housed the sword of Goliath, the very one David had retrieved as a trophy of war. It served as a memorial commemorating God's act of saving Israel against the Philistines. And as if David had a rightful claim to the sword, he said, there's none better Hand it over. So he came to this holy place, hungry and defenseless, and he left full and equipped. When we, like David, are pushed to the edge of our existence and without resources or necessities for life's basic support, then we seek sanctuary, a holy place, a place where God's help might be served up. We know it's God's nature and character to help those who cry out to God and to give to those who are in need. It stands to reason that holiness then is not something that's relegated or restricted either the space or the symbols as if they're set apart for religious use only. But rather, holiness is the reality of God's presence that revitalizes and sustains us. So instead of holiness being this thing that we consider so sacred that no one should have anything to do with, it's literally God making himself available to us to meet our need. We may enter a sanctuary like this, weakened and vulnerable, but we become strengthened and equipped to return to the world despite its indifference, if not hostility to faith. So, a sanctuary is essential to our life of faith because in such places, holiness is served up to those in need. David wasn't the only visitor to the sanctuary that day at Nob, and we get a better sense of holiness when we contrast David with the other visitor named Doeg. In our translation, like most others, he's described as Saul's chief herdsman, but some scholars suggest that that might also be translated as uh, chief of the palace guard. In either role, Doeg would have known David and that Saul wants him uh, killed. The text tells us that he's detained before the Lord in the sanctuary, apparently, there for some rite of purification or penance of some kind. But what we know of Doeg is that he was more politically oriented and motivated than he was religious he wasn't there so much for God as he was for himself. For him, a sanctuary was not a place to expose his weakness, but rather to gain even more cover or more uh, standing. Religion and sacred things were useful to Doeg's career and his political capital. Upon hearing David tell lies and seeing him take the sacred bread and sword, No doubt, Doeg thought to himself, I'm at the right place at the right time. I can use this. He knows that this information will prove useful toward promoting his own fortunes with King Saul. So when he goes back and reports to Saul that David had been in the sanctuary at Nob, Saul becomes outraged that Saul could be so close by and that others are offering him protection or assisting him in any way. And so Saul immediately calls for Ahimelech and the 85 other priests who attended that sanctuary uh, or were attendants to that sanctuary to stand before him. And he accuses them of shielding and protecting David. And they're, of course, innocent. They know nothing of this and yet Saul concludes that they have uh, gone against him and he orders their execution but the soldiers, his own soldiers are so fearful of God and these men who represent God that they won't carry out the order but Doeg did David his reaction is so mournful and so full of anger and disappointment that he, is, he writes a prayer to God that actually is incorporated in our Psalms. It is Psalm 52, all in response to what took place that day. So Doeg, Doeg and David represent two different encounters of God's holiness because of their different purposes for being in the sanctuary that day we can come to this sanctuary as David did, admittedly and directly in need of God's help, or as a religious ritual that insulates us from other people we think less of, or some ritual that leaves us with the impression that we can be holy by our own efforts. Eugene Peterson describes for us what the difference can be. He says, every time we enter a holy place and become aware of the presence of a holy God, we leave either better or worse. If we come to separate ourselves from common things and common people, we will almost certainly leave worse. We will leave as Doeg did, ready to impose our notion of what is right on someone else and forcing our idea of God On others with a sense of indignation but if we enter hungry and needy letting ourselves be vulnerable for God bluntly and even belligerently asking for what we need we will almost certainly leave better we will leave as David did grateful to be simply alive amazed to know that God is with us and that the most holy sacrament is food for our most everyday needs. David refers to this very incident. I said David, pardon me, Jesus. Big difference. Jesus refers to this very incident when questioned by Pharisees that his disciples are eating grain on a Sabbath. How dare they do such a thing? And David, I mean, and Jesus cites this episode of David's life. Only God is holy, just as only people are human. And to speak of anything else as holy is to say that it has something of God's mark upon it. Frederick Bigner says it this way, times, places, things, and people can all be holy as well. When they are, and, and when they are, they are they're, um, they're usually not hard to recognize. You can tell the difference. For reasons known only to God, he uses them for sending his love to the world through them. Well, if you were raised as I have been, holiness has always been this lofty, set-apart, religious idea that God is inaccessible until we are made holy in Jesus Christ. And while that's true, I also want to say that I think it's God's holiness that makes himself available to us and reveals himself in a loving way. We can continue to revere and approach God with a sense of humility and awe, but we also should know that we have every right to be in the presence of a holy God because of Jesus. Because we can't make ourselves holy, but we can certainly receive the gift of God's holiness offered through him. Amen.
2: Oh, you've come to bring standing in your glory
3: Would you join your hearts with me in prayer? Emmanuel, God with us, ever attentive to the voices of those in need, we call on your name so that we might live. With humble gratitude, we pray for the church that bears Christ's name that the world may know we are his disciples by the love we have for one another. We pray for leaders of nations and all persons in position of authority, that their lives may be marked by Christ-like service and love. We pray for those who hold on to power tightly, using tools of violence, anger, deceit, and bullying, that their hearts might be turned towards you and their lives resurrected through your peace. We pray for all who are oppressed, for those living in captivity or fleeing to safety, that they may escape from evil and death to find the land of freedom that you have promised. We pray for those who are hungry and thirsty this day and for those who have too much that we may learn to share your generous gifts, O God. We pray for all whose lives are impacted by environmental devastation that we may recover, rebuild, and consider the earth our shared home. We pray for those whose lives have been touched by violence, for those dealing with loss or facing death, that the presence of Christ may bless and keep them. We pray for our children and youth here at church, in our community, and around the world, that they may be safe, nourished, educated, loved, and cared for. May we as a church community nurture our young people as a vital part of the body of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as he loves us. Comfort and heal all who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give us courage and hope in our troubles and bring us the joy of your salvation. May the peace you left us, the peace you gave us, be the peace that sustains, the peace that saves us. Amen now let us pray together the prayer that jesus taught us saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors lead us not into temptation But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hear the words of the psalmist. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. With gladness, let us present our offering of life and labor to the Lord. Will the worship hosts please come forward.
2: To sing my dear Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of God's grace. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease, tis music. Life and health. Have-
0: If you wish to pray with someone, Candace from our worship prayer team is here to meet and pray with you. Just make your way forward and she'll be glad to do so. A child was asked uh, who was in attendance in a sanctuary uh, what a saint was. And that particular sanctuary had stained glass windows of various saints. And he looked up at the stained glass window and said, A saint is someone through whom the light shines through. Um, and if you were to read Paul's letters, they sort of break in half all the way through. I, break might not be the right word, but in the first half, he typically will try to explain how it is that God has made us to be saints through, through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And no matter who we are, how far from God we are, that God has come nearer. And enabled us to become saints. And then the second portion of his letters, he's usually saying, now live like a saint. That's pretty much, now you know how to read Paul. When you get one of those letters, just say, okay. Uh, and, and And if you're an English major, it's called the indicative and the imperative. The statement of declaration that has happened. The reality that's been made. And then the imperative of how we're supposed to live. So my charge to you today is be the saints God has made you to be. So go out into God's world with Christ's peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering. Honor all God's people. Love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoicing in the power of God's Spirit till we gather again in his name. Amen.